Welcome to Schmigadoonery, the podcast where we dissect and review the new Apple TV podcast show, Schmigadoon. I'm your host, Derek Byers, and joining me is my co-host and best friend, Lynn. How are you doing today, Lynn? I am so, so good. I am, I have bittersweet feelings about this being our, like, finale of season one, Um, but I'm coming off of a high. I just got back from Disney, and... um, for those who know me, you know, Disney is, Disney everything is like my whole heart, my whole joy. And so I had a great trip, spent some amazing time with my aunt and my two little cousins for their 21st birthday. Um, and I cried every night at fireworks because that's what I do. I get so emotional and yeah, it was a great time. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, we just recently came off vacation for a week, so that nice. Um, but other than that, just uh, you know, kind of enjoying you know life and everything that's going on. Uh, I think we actually have differing opinions. We probably dislike some of the same things. However, I I still enjoyed and felt oddly satisfied by the the episode. But we'll get into that in just I a moment. Um, I want to read to you an email that we got, which leads into uh, what we're going to talk about next week. Um, so let me pull that okay. up. So here we go. So from Imani, she says, hi, guys. Thanks for a great podcast. I have enjoyed every episode and hope the next one won't be the last just because the show is over for this time, at least. We all know there are tons of references to great musicals of Rodgers and Hammerstein in the show, and you have already covered several of them, as well as there being articles online that cover this subject. But there are also so many references to newer ones uh, that are rarely mentioned. I would love an episode of your podcast with you guys going, doing a deep dive to as many references as you can come up with, especially focusing on new musicals. There are visual, musical, lyrical slash word, story-based, names, and many, many other types, I'm sure. Uh, and then she goes on to list a few that we're going to save because next week... Uh, on Monday, we're going to have our podcast. We'll be going through all of the episodes and kind of condensing down all of the references we can find. Uh, also, send us the references and some of your favorite references as well in an email mm -hmm. to add to this video so we can get as many uh, points of view and as many references out there as we can find. Yes. Thank you, Imani. Um, I. I agree. It's been, um, the show is roughly based in like, I think Music Man was what, like 1918 or something like that. Yeah, and all the so, turn of the century. 
Yeah. So this, this show, obviously, like we can tell time period wise, it's based within that same range. And I think a lot of the references that have been easy to find are those Rodgers and Hammerstein classic musical movement. But I think it would be extremely great to um, go in and see what else we can find. I I love the great classics, but I love the modern um, musical theater world just as much. So I, I think that's a beautiful question and it's going to create a great episode and um, kind of just let us have some more fun with Schmigadoon as a whole. So thank you so much for writing in. So, shall we start with the episode? What are your mm, thoughts? What are your overall thoughts? I felt like it was palatable, like palatable. Like I felt like I could tolerate it. I've I watched the first time I watched it through, hated it. Hated the whole thing. Um the second time and even the third time that I watched it through cuz you you know Derek and I we watch each episode a few times before we get together so we can make sure we both know what what's coming and we can catch little things um the more I watched it the more I liked certain aspects but I did not leave the episode feeling satisfied I did not feel there were, there were too many kind of like, oh, we've just got to rush to the finish line. And I don't know. I, it, I have too many questions left. But I maybe think, there will be a, a second season, so I don't know. I don't think there'll be, at least with this, the way this story was written was that was the end of them and Schmigadoon. It had a kind of very, at least to me, it had a very kind of clear musical theater like this felt like the end of a musical very much for me and in that way it did I think it did feel satisfying and I kind of reminded myself what it was supposed to be and that you know we we, that I was asking a lot of you know this um because it was never meant to be more than kind of a non-to um but with that said you know the the way it wrapped up certain things and the way it, you know, it made me, yes, do I think there were too many references in the whole show overall? Yes. Do I think there were still too many untied ends? Yes. However, I think the Josh and Melissa arc, that the main part, the main arcs that we cared about still in a musical theater way because a musical theater arc, I mean, even an arc in a normal story is not a perfect arch. It's, it's you know, there's more on the front end than on the back end on any story. Mm-hmm. And then in musical theaters, mm-hmm. that's even more exaggerated. Um, and so it was definitely that kind of musical theater arc where as soon as, as soon as we've gotten to the point where the character changes, it's like a steep drop off and we're at the end of the show. Um, so... Uh, you know, it was very like, you know, at the end of The Wiz, you know, Dorothy sings home, she clicks her heels, and we see Toto, and it's just blackout, you know, and we're, we're done. And we assume she made it home. We assume that the change took place uh, and was, you know, was a good change for the character. Um, and so in that way, and kind of thinking about some of those stories, um, 
I didn't I didn't mind it. It it was it was like okay, I won't be like you know, I I it's like I felt like it was enough that okay, I can move on you know with with this musical. Yeah, like I said, did I still think there were certain problems with it, but yeah, I thought it was it it worked enough for me. Mm. I feel like like I agree with you in terms of like in a musical theater world, which is what they're kind of poking fun at, you know, it it definitely ends the way that you would expect it to, but for me there's they opened up this this new way of storytelling through musical theater and I almost wish that would have continued like one thing and it and it bothers me and not just in this show but in a lot of musicals is that sometimes writers will almost create it the the ending of a story to where there's just like zero conflict at all and we see that here. We see, and we'll get into it later, but we see Emma and Doc Lopez both just kind of step to the side with no fight, no no nothing. Um, and I also think that for all we know, Melissa and Josh didn't go across the bridge. For all we know, they're still stuck in Schmigadoon. We don't know that. We don't know that they made it to back over to New York. We can assume that, but I wanted a clear cut. They have made it back to, and, and, and then there's just too many questions about what New York looks like now. And I guess maybe I am asking for a little bit too much. And it's funny because the last episode you and I said on opposite sides mm -hmm. and I think I had more of an open mind to it you know not being what we expect a normal like show series to be and you were more like no there's too many like opened like cans of worms like we we don't have enough and so it's kind of funny I mean I won't say it was it was terrible I think they served their purpose I also saw online that part of the the confusion and the conflict that's coming with people maybe not having enough answers is that originally it was an eight episode season. And when it got closer to time to start shooting, they had to cut it down to six. And so there were a lot of things left on the chopping board with no rhyme or reason that would have made the show more interesting or like given the actual characters more involvement in to the storyline and into the plot that just couldn't happen and so that makes me kind of wonder well what all was left un unsaid you know well yeah and this is the problem with you know the apples and the hbo's and the the other these companies that produce these shows for profit and not for art's sake then you're ruining and creating the art because I mean, you're ruining the art because, yeah, it probably would have been better with the full story that they had originally planned out. And sometimes, you know, when you're writing stories, you can't cut it down. There's there's this you there's a certain you have there's a certain amount you have to have in to 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 have a satisfying story. And 
yeah, you see this all the time where they're like, oh, we have to cut this down by so many episodes. You look at WandaVision, the, the end of WandaVision was pretty much ruined because they had to cut out like two entire storylines because they, they, they wanted to rush the, 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 you know, big executives wanted to rush it and just get it out as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And when people got to the end, people would, you know, felt dis- unsatisfied because all of that, there was a bunch of stuff missing originally from the story and they don't leave writers time, really truly time to rewrite it for that amount of time. And so it's like, you know, especially when you're doing these things when not much musical theater gets produced in this way, but it's like, please do it right first. So people, you know, the, the, the little bit they are getting is good and they, they don't, you know, this is what, you know, creates groups of people like, Oh, I don't like musical theater. It's cheap or it doesn't make sense. Or it's like, well, this is why, because you cut things out that shouldn't be cut out. Right. Well, that's, I mean, there, there were a lot of things that, Um, in the article that I read, just kind of talking about things like, for instance, um, they were talking about how Danny Bailey's character, um, wasn't, he wasn't supposed to be just a one night stand. Like there was this whole storyline of like him confronting Josh because Josh is a, is a doctor and he had proven himself, um, to have like a ton of money in comparison, you know, to what the town lived in that time, you know, at the, um, auction when he bid $20 and to them, that's an insane amount of money. Um, but there's this whole storyline where Danny Bailey was going to basically have a, a confrontation with Josh to rob him, to get the money that he thought he needed in order to build a life with Melissa, Like there was going to be this whole, this whole extra thing with them. There was a potential storylines about Danny and Emma and Danny being Carson's father that they took out, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. They took that one out because I think Emma and Carson as a unit stand so much stronger, just the two of them, Mm -hmm. but how much dynamic, like how many layers they they had planned for there and then well yeah he wouldn't have just felt like this weird character where we were like oh wh- where was he this whole time and yeah, then like same probably with Jane Kerkowski's character who was there for one episode and with that they said that like with her you know part of that was the pandemic I mean they were filming this scheduling things were off um so they they only had her for a few days, but I feel like even if you knew you were only going to have her, you can do a lot in a few days time. Yes, you can do a lot of small shots and insert shots that that can add her throughout the entire story. I line. mean, there was like I would have loved to see the scene where she came back and told Doc Lopez what she did. You know, like I I would have loved to have that, but literally she drops she sings her song, drops Melissa off, and she's done. You know, I, I don't know. The leprechaun never came back. There's just so many. <laughs> yeah, it is just. And yes. And well, I think what we're also seeing, too, is like, yes, cuts happen in musicals as they're being written and changes happen. But in musical theater, especially in Broadway and professional productions, you have workshops in between all of those cuts. You have previews once the show is up for months sometimes before you even open to test these cuts to adjust these cuts to fill in these pieces and to listen to the reaction of the audience which is the you know you you really can't create it's very 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 difficult 
to create a musical in a vacuum and that's essentially what they did and yeah. it's it's you know there's we're seeing why it's important to have those multiple previews and workshops and readings and all that stuff because it it you not only have to workshop it you know between creative people but you need to put it in front of an audience to see where you know average people you know you're you're never something i've learned in bmi in my musical theater workshop here in new york is that that is great to put out stuff in front of a room of writers and a room of other artists but you don't really know what you have until you really put it out in front of your audience because your audience mm -hmm. is never usually going to be a group of writers or a group of artists. Correct. Your audience is, is all kinds of people. And so if you want it to appeal to people and you want it to the message to speak to them, they are the, the, they are part of the collaboration and that's yeah. hard. You can't do that with film and with, with, with TV and the same, you can live theater. And I think some of the things we're craving for musicals and, and think, you know, and the way they're structured so well, comes from that process that is not happening here yeah i will say that um cinco paul who's been one of the like main writers and executive producers of schmigadoon and he's one of the people who have spoken out the most about the show he did say um in a statement that his concept for the show has always been more involved than just what one season can give us you know he feels like season one maintained a beginning and a middle and an end but that it could continue and so for him and for some of the other writers there is more to give us but the ball is in apple tv's court so i feel like I don't, I feel like if there's going to be a season two, I, I don't necessarily feel like it's the end of Melissa and Josh's journey, but how their journey looks in a new place. Well, that's probably time. why they ended it like they did not, not showing what everybody wanted them back in New York was it's, it's, a, it was enough to imply that they went back to New York in a very musical theater. Like, you know, Aida, at the end of Aida, they walk out of the tomb and they, you know, or, you know, at the end of musicals, they walk into the light and that's the end. Or like the end of Miss Saigon, they walk, you know. Yeah. Um, or, or that way, but it always, it also leaves it open to showing that movement, that moment over again. And they just walk over and Schmigadoon's on the other side, you know. So it does yeah. leave it open just in case. And that's probably why. And I will, that will be fine if they would announce that there was a season two coming, you know, but my fear is that they will announce a season two is coming and it will be an entirely different storyline altogether. And I'm not at a place where I'm ready to say goodbye to the characters that we have been introduced to. There's too much yeah. left to still like explore. There's still too much left for me to know about the mayor and about Florence even. I want to know yeah. how the mayor and Florence even got together. You know what I mean? Like, no, I just I know. feel like there's still there's, too much there's to There's a way to do that type of a show. And I think the, I think we've talked about it before, the Miracle Workers show with Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi um, does it very well of writing a show now. I think that season, I think their seasons are 13 episodes, which helps because they tell this kind of full story over 13 episodes and they're structured in a way to 
as to be a comedy of manners in the sense that it's less about who the characters are and more about their actions and kind of learning from that. And so that also, the in when you're writing kind of from that point of view, that also helps you have these characters that by the end of the story, we can move on. It's kind of like a parable. It's meant to be told this is the story, and then we move on, you learn from that, and we can tell another story. But it's the same cast over and over, just playing different parts. And they do that very well, but also they have 13 episodes, not six. And I think their episodes are at least 30 minutes, if not longer. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, giving the art space it needs, you know, to actually work. Yeah. Well... I mean, I still think it was a good try, and I think it's still, again, a good step in the right direction, and hopefully it will encourage other pieces, and hopefully it will be popular enough and have a good enough response that Apple and other companies will continue to produce them and get better at producing them as they start to understand it more. Right, and I I, I agree. I mean, I think if you're looking at it as we have week by week by week, you see the little, I mean, we are digesting it one episode at a time. And so doing that way, you know, we see the little flaws or the little things that we wish would maybe have been done differently. But if you're looking at the series or the season, episode one through the end, it's a lot more pleasing you you know what i mean like well, yes I can... because it's it's definitely was written pretty much they it almost feels like they took the approach of we're gonna write a musical and then chop it up into tv episodes yeah versus gonna say we're gonna write a tv show uh in the style of a musical uh and you know this brings up the question of does that work can you just write a normal musical in its own structure and chop it up or does or do you need to kind of finesse it in a different way still again keeping the essence of a musical theater show where the music is what moves the plot but then do you need to finesse how the characters operate the structure to be more like a tv show well the thing with tv and with film is that sometimes when you write a script you film it you know in the order that you've written it but then you have the the option to kind of mix and match right like all the clips and so if we're recording um a tv show and we're like oh well actually that scene is better at the end than it is in the middle we can flip-flop it whereas in musical theater you can't really do that i mean the show is the show and so i, I mean but you do that but that happens during that process of preview of writing and, right correct and but it but it happens over much longer and it's not you know i feel like in the editing room yeah you go through multiple edits but not as many edits as you would if you're going through like a normal musical theater process mhm well Let's um, get into it. Let's let's just dive in. So a little um, summary into how we change, which is episode six and the season finale. Um, Josh finds Carson and they discuss how good relationships take work. Emma proposes that she and Carson cross the bridge to start a life with Josh in New York. 
Doc Lopez retrieves Melissa, declaring that he's chosen her over the Countess, but she has decided that she wants to save her relationship with Josh. And meanwhile, he realizes he wants the same thing. In town, Mildred is about to win the election, but Melissa and Josh, per usual, interrupt and the voting process comes to a halt. She apologizes. He offers his love in a song and the two kind of, you know, rekindle. Mildred denounces the New Yorkers, but Emma says that they have taught the townspeople to accept their true selves. Mildred throws a tantrum and the mayor is reelected in a landslide. Melissa tells Mildred that it's not too late to change and the town celebrates its progress with more modern musical stylings. Hand in hand, Josh and Melissa approach the bridge, but it is not revealed whether they are able to leave Schmigadoon. So we start out this final episode the way we have started out every episode with a flashback. So the last opening flashback takes us to just 17 hours before Schmigatoon when Melissa and Josh are trying to put together a tent in the woods. They don't understand the direction, so they rig something up and it immediately collapses um, once they're inside. And um, they end up just spending the night camping and stuff underneath the stars. And I think that the camping cuteness was kind of written to kind of show how like couples will will like wipe away kind of like their obvious problems um or the things that they need to deal with to make their their relationship work like they think that that's going to help save it and it you know it obviously it didn't they still came to Schmigadoon and they and they broke up but it was that scene for me was super cute um it's actually I think probably my favorite flashback scene that we've had I loved the (laughs) my husband and his dad and his brother have this idea that they don't need (laughs) um instructions for things and I'm like okay Okay. And then finally, my husband will get like frustrated and he'll say, read the instructions to me, read the instructions to me. And I'll be like, okay, well, where do I start? I'm, I'm not a builder. I've never claimed to be, I do know how to read. Um, but I, I do feel like we, we have those moments like Josh and Melissa, where we are, we are trying to put something together and, um, end up having to just laugh about it and just guess and just wing it. And what a perfect, outlook on how relationships are you know sometimes the instruction manual doesn't make sense or it's non-existent because every relationship is different it's not like building a table you can't have one book that works for everyone that's going to give you the perfect foundation and the perfect structure and so a lot of time in life when you're with your partner that's exactly what you're doing you're you're winking it and I, I loved that it was set while they were on this hike. They were on their way to Schmigadoon without knowing it because it was kind of a moment for us as an audience to remember that 
they have always been a work in progress. And in a way, they've always known that too. Yeah, and it also, if you kind of look at all of the scenes together, they kind of almost show their love growing stronger throughout those situations where the the first couple were kind of the most, you know, lovey dubby maybe, but also the more faker love. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. the, it grows truer throughout those uh, things as they go through life together. Well, in the first, the first couple flashbacks, you know, they were in their honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. you know, and then here they are, they've, put in time and years and they're more comfortable in their relationship so they can kind of let those guards down the things that they you try to hide it's like when you start dating somebody it's like an interview you know like the first few dates it's almost as if you're on an interview you don't want to put your worst traits or the things that you need to work on personally out there for grabs because you know that that's not what's going to attract people but once you're you're there and you've put in time and you've, you know, put in some work, well, then you can, um, you can kind of start being your authentic self a little bit more, but I really liked the flashback. I felt like it was a good solid ending to, to that part of their life for us as, as, as viewers. Um, and then we were back in Schmigadoon and Josh has found Carson in a tree <laughs> and he's not coming down because his mom, because Emma's his mom now, she, um, she lied to him and he's not very happy that, sorry, my dog, <laughs> he's not happy that she she lied to him and Josh is explaining how, you know, good relationships, they, they take work and they take effort. And he's, he's starting to remember him and Melissa, you know, it's like, he's, he's speaking to Carson and it's making him reminisce about, it's making him reminisce about my dog just, Hold on. My dog just ripped out my headphones. Okay. Okay. I'm back. Go away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Real life guys. So I, I loved that, but then it was almost like as soon as Emma came in and Emma proposes like that they go and they start a life together. He, he, it's like, he instantly forgot about Melissa again, you know, like he had started to feel, but it still wasn't enough. I don't know. I mean, but that's been his character this whole time of, I mean, he's done that. All he does, he's done this whole, that whole throughout the whole uh, season of, you know, he would start to lean, Melissa start to lean towards her, but then, you know, his brain would snap back to, um, Oh, how do I get out of here? How do I play this game to get out of here? Um, You know? And I found that to be, yeah, that makes sense as part of his character. Um, because later on, obviously he realizes, but, um, yeah, he finds Carson and they're up, up in the tree. Um, and of course we get, you know, a good old fashioned comedy gold dummy moment of him falling just straight down pratfall on top of him. (laughs) Like, like boom. Right. I, it was good. 
I love Carson. I actually really love Emma too. Um, and I feel like if we had a longer season, I actually wouldn't have hated seeing Emma and Josh grow closer. Um, but I know that they didn't have, you know, obviously we didn't have enough time for that, but she's, um, she's there. She wants to go to New York. She wants to start a new life. And, you know, we have to think that a lot of that is because of the fact that the town is going to find out, you know, like she is still worried about what the rest of, what the rest of Schmigadoon may think when they realize that um, she and Carson are, but, but even still this storyline is getting me a little upset because I don't know enough about her and Carson, you know, we know that her parents kicked her out. Well, and I think one of the things that's leading into this frustration is the, the show has never defined rather, or, or if these are people who live by just musical theater rules or if this is a show that, or if they're following in a pre-written show, because well, they even also, lean into they even lean into some of the fact of like you know not knowing how old Betsy is because you know often in musical theater twenty-year-olds play you know sixteen-year-olds and things like that, and that was definitely I was watching another interview where they were talking about that was part of the joke of you know her being looking like she's twenty and that but she's playing a sixteen-year-old and that's very common in theater. Um, but then, so then are these people in roles or are these actual like humans who are, you know, because that changes how you look at like caring about the characters and about what, you know, and about their, and it changes their motivation for certain things. If that well, and also if they are all humans, how did they get there? You know, like. Like none of the stories of how they originated into Schmigadoon, or the, at least the ones that we know about, none of them really truthfully make sense. I mean, um, for instance, with Emma and Carson, you know, she says that she got pregnant and her parents sent her to like a wayward home, you know, and well, where's that home? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, how did the people of Schmigadoon not already know? Because Schmigadoon's a really small town. They don't have any outer surrounding towns. No, I know. And I think what's happening is the, the, the writers never define that for themselves. And so they're there because like, yeah, in musical theater logic, you would never actually see the way we're at home unless there is uh, sh- unless there is, you know what I'm saying? Unless there is like a number or reason to actually physically go there. We just assume it's off stage somewhere. And same with the set. The set is leading you more to feel like this is a set and not that necessarily that these are actors, but there's a part of this that's like predestined and like written out um, versus <sighs> versus them being sentient, fully sentient and making decisions. And that's where see, but then it gets odd when you get to the places like the mayor coming out and later on the, the minister coming out and the way it kind of ends. And so like, that's why I feel like they never really defined it for themselves. That's why we don't know where it sits. Yeah. I just feel like, I don't know. Emma gives this persona that she's trapped, mm-hmm. you know, and and what's crazy is in this episode, I really saw a lot of similarities between her and Josh in the sense that they both feel trapped and they both feel like the other is their opportunity to escape. Mm-hmm. 
you know, even her love for Josh is surface level and not, and I'm not saying it's surface level because it's musical theater and typically that's how, you know, romances are, but it's surface level because she is using him as well. Yeah. Well, and they also, they, they, they also just met and she seems to, to approach love very from the point of view of, I have feelings for this person uh, you know, this again is she's is she's making these choices and it's, it's not predetermined. Uh, you know, she feels like you know I have some feelings for this person. This is also better than anything else right now, and I know might as well start a new life because once the town finds out, finds out they're going to be you know, it's going to be its own right. difficult situation. And so you know, and also, but I do she also feel like she's a person that would believe in you know this spark plus all of those other things is enough and then the love will grow kind of a you know choosing like kind of what they bring up later about choosing that the love will be there yeah i don't know i still don't like it (laughs) (laughs) well anyways josh and and emma share this big kiss they decide that in the morning they will go to the bridge and they will cross it and set off for a life in um in new york city and um we wake up the next morning and we see melissa she's lying on the side of the road where the countess has left her and up comes doc lopez and his mother and he's you know helping her and telling her to come on come home he's left the countess melissa is all he wants and melissa um is hugging him and it's actually doc lopez's mom that creates the dialogue which i loved because i felt like any mother would do that not even just any mother i didn't feel like she was coming at melissa in a place of like a scolding you know mother-in-law but more of in the place of like hey like i'm a woman who has known what love is and i want every woman out there to have that same chance So she, you know, brings that up and she asks Melissa, um, are you in love with my son? And I love, I love the little bits of laughter that Doc Lopez brings when he's like, mother, stop, mommy, stop. You know, like he, he, he realizes that as his mom is trying to give this advice and open this, um, narrative for Melissa to be able to think about whether or not she's wanting to move forward with doc lopez or if she's wanting to revisit things with josh um he he's realizing like melissa's not choosing him yeah and it's like too here's another like like point of confidence like okay how much do these people again if it's not like pre-written and she's just doing that because that because the show is trying to guide them towards each other see this is again where we get into is the show crafted to guide them towards each other or are they making this choice on their you don't know, see are they making this choice on their yeah. own yeah like and, is you she know. just being a good person mm-hmm. and by helping melissa like tap into her feelings or is she just saying what she's been told to say yeah or like, or like you know predestined to say in the sense that yeah because also like how much you know we don't the way they play it is you don't see Doc Lopez. You don't see, you kind of see some of them, I think, at the very opening number. But other than that, you know, how much do they know about the whole Josh and Melissa thing? The way Doc Lopez kind of plays it as if he doesn't know who she is until she shows up on his doorstep. 
And so it's like how much, you know, the way it felt in the scene, it was like the mother knew about Josh and all the other things that had happened so far in the story and was trying to sway her back like other, you know, moments in the show. Yeah, well, and also, like, if these are real people, then we can assume that relationships are forming when we don't see them, right? So Mm -hmm. Melissa, in the previous episode with um, Doc Lopez's parents, you know, she was very, I mean, you know, we know she gave them the lube and she gave them all the sex tips, but, like, how close did that make them, you know? Like, did she form a bond with Doc Lopez's mom on, like, a woman-to-woman level, So I I don't know. There's a lot of questions that, and a lot of things that you can wonder because we don't know the, the premise behind everybody's intentions on the show, but, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, Melissa, um, she does surprising to no one confirm that, that she wants, Josh and she wants to make things work with Josh and and I think where we left it off with her in the last episode where she realized like she was the bad guy you know I think now she's she's this is the moment where she's starting to realize she can't control everything right like she 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 just she can't and that was you know she's explaining how she and 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 Josh have all these ups and downs and highs and lows and there's moments where she just loves him and she knows he's the one but then there's moments where she questions everything and um doc lopez's mom you know she says well honey what you've just described is love love isn't a feeling it's it's a choice it's something that you wake up every day and you choose to do um and that was you know the kind of like aha moment for melissa and my favorite part in all of that was when (laughs) I guess it just reminded me of my mother-in-law, like something I could see her saying to her sons had things not worked out with, with, you know, their, who they thought were their true loves. She says, don't worry, you're beautiful. You'll find someone. (laughs) And he's like, okay. And he just like gets in the car. He's like, sure. You're right, mom. I look good. (laughs) Yeah. And see, again, that's, that's another, another thing that leads me to back to, that his reaction, and again, you've brought this up earlier, how there was no conflict. His reaction's very, oh, musical theater, this is just part of the show, we move on, you know, versus yeah. real people having real emotions. Well, and also, I mean, I guess to that same respect, I mean, us having, um, like, the Countess's and his situation just kind of being quickly resolved off screen is kind of the same thing you yeah. know like it's it's one of those things where like in a musical they're just like no I decided this and we're it's done we're move on you know which I don't know that I cared for and I don't know if that's because um I feel like we didn't get enough of the countess you know I mean we, we truthfully we didn't but also I don't know. I feel like there, there could have been in every great love story, there's, there's some type of conflict and maybe, maybe they wrote it like that to show us that the conflict doesn't exist in those two because it's not their true love story. 
you know, there, there's no conflict with Doc Lopez and Melissa when they split here in the next scene. We're going to see the same thing between Emma and Josh. So, but we have seen a ton of conflict between Josh and Melissa mm-hmm. throughout. So may, maybe, heck, I don't know. Maybe they wrote it to show, you know, like there is no conflict and there is no choice because that's not their love. And Doc Lopez's mom just told us love is a choice. It's an action. It's something that that you basically breathe and wake up and do every day, regardless of how that day plays out, regardless of how you're feeling. And so maybe we don't see that in these like smaller couples because it just doesn't matter. It's if, if it's not their true love, who cares? And which yeah, goes but then back to set the, that up in episode one, not in episode five at the end of the show, <laughs> you know? Because then, right. because, you know, if they had set that concept up, if they'd set that up as a rule and kind of a point of view from the beginning, that would have made some other things feel less weird. Yeah, like Danny Bailey not being mm-hmm. being gone after episode one and then randomly showing up. Like him being the one to deliver Josh's rock was so unsettling for me because he was gone. Like there were so many other characters. I would have rather Betsy's dad, you know, (laughs) still like confront him holding that grudge again. I don't don't know. That that thing was, yeah, Yeah. that was weird. Well, that's Um, the thing. It's like we're playing a game, but we don't know what the rules are. I like rules, Derek. Well, you you have to have rules to play a game so that you to make the game fun. A game a game without any rules isn't a game. That's the whole point. Is that you put within yeah. a structure to figure out a problem. You know, you, you that is what this. You're, that is exactly it. Like you just hit the nail on the head. There are no rules. There's kind of like a lack of organization, and my type A personality cannot function. Like if I was in this show right now, I would probably be looking at everybody like, what is going on? And not in a good way, not in a, what is going on? Where's another song? It would oh, wait be till a, we get to the last song. It really, it would, yeah. Oh, they tried to do something there that just did not work at all. Well, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so anyways, Melissa's off to find, to find Josh and we, we go back over to him and he's at the bridge. Um, and he's with Emma and Carson. And Emma and Carson are kind of talking about what to expect in New York, right? And so um, Carson's asking all these questions like, will there be candy? And Josh says, yeah, there's going to be candy. And it shows that first scene where they met each other um and he says will there be snow and josh says yeah there's going to be snow and he he starts to remember their first time saying i love you under the snow and um emma says well sounds like new york's gonna have everything let's go and she starts walking and you know she she quickly realizes and she says but new york won't have everything will it and you know josh is apologetic and blah 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 and emma is um way more understanding than i would have been okay like listen here buddy you just promised me and my whole child 
that you are going to be the one that comes and says, and see, this is why you don't introduce men to your children that fast ladies or vice versa. If you're a single dad and you're, you're starting to date, you don't, you don't, <sighs> that just rubbed me the whole wrong way. I would have slapped him. Well, and then you go with her reaction, me. you know, where's the conflict? Where's the actual, again, that's not, I, I get, you know, some people are measured in their reaction, but that was, again, almost like this is my role in the show and it's, yes, this is how this is supposed to go and I'm just going to back down now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it felt too convenient. Is... It was too convenient. It's just, it's just hard because this whole time right like josh and Alyssa, for like the second half of the show have spent barely any time together right and to me the one scene that they did have the second half of the show where they delivered the baby like that's just not enough okay so there's in in my opinion the two of them until this moment have showed zero interest or zero passion or longing for like the other person um like we have zero sense of what they feel like they're gonna lose if they don't have the other person they've Mm -hmm. they've created these alternative partners for themselves um and it it doesn't make them more compatible but the show put a lot of responsibility on Melissa to change her thinking and, and to make the relationship work. I feel like, I mean, we, I, in the beginning, I mean, I saw a lot of that with Josh as well, but here towards the latter part of the season, I feel like a lot of that responsibility has been on Melissa, but there has been until now zero moments of them missing each other or wanting the other well, and I think there were those moments we talked about maybe two episodes ago where they would kind of have these longing looks or these long, and that was to be that, but it wasn't, you know, enough. And also, too, yeah, I think Melissa's character, you know, definitely, I mean, yeah, Melissa definitely had, has the larger emotional, like, arc and, like, the larger hill, dec- hill decline when you look at her journey emotionally. Uh, mm-hmm. And all the the different things she's had to go through versus yeah. Josh's didn't feel like it was as steep. Now, granted, you know, you get into talking about, you know, everybody's experience is different. You know, you know, everybody's pain and what they have experienced in life is different. So you can't really, you know, compare experiences. But I do still think even just in from a writing standpoint, their arcs don't quite his Match was up. not as hard as hers. No, and I don't know. I mean, to me, this is where Melissa and I are similar. You know, there's been a lot of moments where where I have said in in my marriage, I'm more like Josh, and James is is more like Melissa. But where Melissa and I are the same is that emotionally we are so large, you know, and I've said this before, it has always been easier for me to meet James on his level than it has been for him to meet me on mine in the sense of 
sharing and communicating because I'm an oversharer. There are definitely things that like rub me the wrong way or irritate me, or I'm sensitive to that. He is just not like, he doesn't understand it. And I can spend all day lashing out on him and being hateful or mean or mad or crying hysterically. And it's not that he doesn't want to understand or that he doesn't want to change or that he doesn't want to grow, but he can't show me in a way that I'm showing him that something's a problem because emotionally he's just not that big. And I feel like, you know, like you're the same way too. Like you're, 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 you're emotional, but you're not you're not going to stand at Disney and feel so like overwhelmed at how beautiful everything is that you spend 10 minutes crying at fireworks, you know, and, and neither is James. James loves Disney. He's a huge Disney freak too. And we have a great time together, but you know, he could just stand there and barely clap or smile, but he's enjoying it just as much as I am. It's just, I'm more vulnerable to showing how I'm feeling and expressing that than he is. And I think maybe that's, you know, and not even maybe that is kind of how Melissa and Josh are, are set up and have been set up. And we see that even with their openness to the, to the show, Melissa was ready to sing episode one. And we don't see Josh sing here until, I mean, he, he does finally sing this episode, but I mean, so what he was, it took him six episodes to get to a point where, you know, he was able to even tap into that a little bit. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah. And even with, short, the, with that said too. Yeah. If you think about that, she's been singing this whole time. He's just now there. It, they don't seem like they're on the same level still. It seems like they're, they're right. not any better than when they started they're not I think that they've made the realization that they want each other which is great and which is beautiful but they still have work to put in and that's why a part of me feels like they're not they're not going to be able to cross the bridge if there's a season two I don't feel like they'll be able to cross the bridge because mm, I think the leprechaun's going to come back and say like hey like yes you found your true love but it's not ready Mm -hmm. and they could be pulling like an into the woods where well, but like at the end of Into the Woods Act One, we see the beanstalk grow so that we know there's more to come. Um, mm-hmm. But like Into the Woods Act One, it, it ends with happily ever after. All of everybody, the story could, could technically end after Act One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't. So, so maybe I don't know. We'll we'll see. But Emma graciously steps aside. She lets Josh go. And we are now in the town square. Um, Mildred is getting ready to um, win. Like it, it's very apparent she's going to win. There, nobody's cheering for for the mayor, <laughs> um, Aloysius Minlove. No, nobody is cheering for him. Everybody is gung ho about. Mildred becoming the mayor and she's making all these jobs about Florence not being there and about the mayor being you know a homosexual and about the outsiders just bringing all this tribulation and strife and as they're getting ready to take the vote which 
is done by a show of hands. So elementary school is hilarious. Um, Melissa comes running in and she's looking for Josh and she's screaming for Josh and she's trying to find Josh. And um, Josh comes in and he finds her. And Melissa shares this super passionate apology. You know, she's um, apologizing for acting as though anything that wasn't perfect was a failure and for treating how did she say it she said I'm sorry for treating you like a burden on my way to a fantasy so basically you know like she's expected him to change without making any changes for herself but she's ready to be who he needs her to be so that their romance can last. And I feel like that's what you were saying. Like Melissa's character arc, it kind of ends in a weird place of resignation almost. Yeah. You know what um, this reminds me of? It reminds me of the last five years in the sense that yes. it's very, the last five years is quite obvious. It's written from a man's point of view about the relationship in the sense that the Kathy character is not. You, you you know what I'm saying, like the like again, and it's it's there's it just feels like Josh got off way too easy, and similar to like last five years and Kathy's, you know, it, it feels unbalanced in that same way. It's it's very does. this whole scene is very much like now that you've mentioned that it's like uh what's the song the next ten minutes, you know this is their moment where their lives have been on polar opposites for so long and now they're meeting at a place where it's the same but are they going to stay there are they going to continue on their stories in opposite directions you know I don't I don't think it was fair personally and it could just be me being a woman and saying I am female hear me roar that could be a good part of it but I don't really think it's fair for for Melissa to have to apologize for expecting better from her partner. No, but I mean, here's the thing. Do <clears throat> I agree with what she was saying based on the way her character was written? Yes, I do agree that, you know, a lot of what she was saying is valid in that, you know, yes, you should always expect more, but also it's kind of like with life. Yes, you always want to be pushing for better, but also keep in mind with your expectations that, you know, every single change is not going to be perfect. And it's not, you know, um, well, and she did kind I of have this like perfection that she wanted kind of as part of her character. Granted, she's also a doctor and I feel like that's just part of her like personality, you know? Maybe, but I feel like if she had gone to Josh and she had apologized for being so like the only thing that I agreed with her on was her saying, you know, like he shouldn't have felt like a burden on the way to her fantasy, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, and I get that. I mean, heck, you know, it's like what, what we talked about episode one about the, the Southern, um, like traditional rules of, you know, you being married by a certain age and you having all these things in line and you having your boxes checked and matched. And obviously like her five-year plan has never been the same as, as Josh's five years yeah. plan. And so he shouldn't have felt like a burden, like as somebody who was just there to get her where she expected her life to be within a certain time frame. And I get that. And I, I do think that that was a, a good, um, yeah, a good very, analogy this, and a good way of like, putting that. Like saying, you know, cause in, in very, I felt this from her character of, 
you know, she she wanted her life to be X, Y, Z and this, this, this by a certain, certain time. And very Tuesday took the approach that, you know, some I feel like some people still take today in relationships of I'm just going to find the person or not just going to find the person, but I'm going to try and mold this person into exactly what I wanted to. You know, it's very that, you know, guys and dolls find the man, you know, find the marry, man today, marry the man, marry today, the man today and, change, and change the ways yeah. tomorrow. And very in that vein. And she kind of gave that kind of air off anyways. And this kind of was giving the, you know, was saying, you know, that I, that, that she could relax that a little bit, but, and I feel like too, part of the problem is she, she kind of states her stuff very clearly in a monologue and then Josh sings and I don't think the song does the job that it's supposed to. I don't think it. I think that's part of why we're feeling this lack because it, the, it lyrically just does not do. That. I mean, yes, throughout the show, he has physic. He has not. His what his character has gone through, and what we've seen has not been as hard. But also, what we're hearing that he's learned and kind of what he's changed just isn't hitting the same way that her speech did i almost think and i i get what they want it's like oh yes that's a beautiful moment of this is the first time he finally sings but i could have done with some other dialogue or something else that went into more depth to show that he also actually went through an equivalent amount of change yeah well like you said josh um he responds in a song, which I can appreciate that their talents are different. You know, like, I feel like that, that kind of helps their character. I'm not saying that um, Keegan Michael Key is terrible because he's not, but no. the song was passionless. It was yeah. so bland. It was just like, wanting to take a hot bath and then you stick your feet in and you realize it's like just lukewarm you yeah, know it's not even cold it's just like almost body temperature and like yeah yeah well i think part of that is so i was watching a thing and uh, he, he wanted single paul wanted as many uh, or as much of the singing to be done live on set so he's singing live in the moment Versus singing in a booth. Which I did. I did appreciate that aspect of it. And and I, I did see something that too, you know, how they wanted it to be, you know, it's inevitable. At some point, Josh has to become a part of the musical, but it still needed to be a surprise, like a surprise to us as an audience. So writing it a cappella versus with a live band and orchestra and everything else made the most sense. Um, I also liked to me, it was, it's not, a song like the other ones where we're like oh it has this 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 and this as references but I did feel like it was kind of close to um seeing it in the rains you were meant for me mm-hmm. and I liked that because back in episode one they were watching singing in the rain on the tv so that does kind of help bring that little aspect of their story you know, full circle, but the song itself, it was lackluster. 
He tried. And then the dancing. I get I get that they probably were like, oh, we want to like be true to like Josh and Melissa's level of but I'm like, you're already in this musical where we're suspending disbelief. Dance. Or even go to the place of like put in some stunt doubles if you can't do it and like give us an actual like good stunning dance number at the end or don't do it you know because it's like i feel like both of them can dance better than that and well, could have done they much did more say, i did more than that in, in high school well they know? did say that to kind of keep with josh's character he couldn't look too professional so they did say that like they told him not to practice his song with a vocal coach. And they told him um, to to kind of keep everything a little bit more raw and like unpolished because the less polished it would be, the more impactful it would be. Like those were his notes from the director. But for me personally, I feel like that- Okay, the singing aspect in the beginning when he is just walking up to her, that being a little unpolished, okay, but the whole point of this song is to be this huge romantic gesture, you know, and there's there's no reason why he shouldn't have been able, because Keegan Michael Key has done theater. Yeah. Like, we all know that he's capable, like you said, of doing more. So I feel like the the writers and the directors on this one, you know, telling him to come into it unpolished, it kind of, it kind of did this scene a disservice because yeah. it wasn't what it could have been at all. Well, yeah, and it almost, it almost seems like his character's not even trying as hard as everybody else. And it's like... No, it's like we're in we're already in this place where we're suspending disbelief. We're you're in musical world. Like let them dance. Let the, let this be the one moment that is that full musical fantasy because that also would make me feel like Melissa actually had more of a reason to, you know what I'm saying? Like that would add to his change. Not only he's he's going through the change of not only you know, when you get to the point of you can't sing anymore, you dance, but you dance really well. Like, in, in, even in musicals, you know, yes, Judd in, or like Curly in Oklahoma would not be able to do everything that his character does that is choreographed to do. Like, that real human would not be able mm -hmm. to do barrel turns and, and backflips and all this crazy choreography they do. But because it's a musical, that is a part of the suspension of disbelief. And I think they should have taken that. See, again, back to these rules that don't make sense. And they I don't think they defined it for themselves. Well, I guess, you know, in a way, maybe it was hard for them to define all this stuff on their own because they're kind of like, well, what are they doing? You know, like they don't know. They have no idea if they're going to get picked up for a season two. Apple, if you're listening to this Apple, and I'm going to say Apple five times in a row, Apple, 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 Apple because I want you guys <laughs> to get triggered to hear this, at least this one little part. I need a season two. I have too many questions. Listen, you guys, Derek can write season two. Like if we need it, Derek can write it, okay? But I'll have it to you in a week. <laughs> but there needs to be a season two. I don't know. But yeah, I 100% I agree though. This... um. It was very lackluster. Melissa poured her heart out. And she was way yeah, more because, like, vulnerable. In musical theater, the like the the level at which you dance and like the passion with which you dance 
shows how much could have been part of showing how much he had changed and how much he really cared for right. her now. Right. Because it also didn't help that he got to those moments late. He didn't risk that, you know, he didn't have those memory moments until like right before he went to see her. Whereas Melissa kind of had her spaced out throughout some of the episodes and she had a much smoother arc. Uh, yeah. And that, yeah. Yeah. I I 100%, 100% agree. Well, they've, they've made up and... Like we said, this is right smack in the middle of their, um, the town's, uh, what is it, mayoral election. Um, so Emma comes up because Mildred is, you know, throwing a temper tantrum. She's upset that they're there. And Emma steps in and Emma just tells everybody, you know, like these people, they've come in and they've changed us. And they've changed us for the better. They've made us become more accepting of who we are. And she announces, you know, that she is Carson's mom. And Mildred goes off with that. I knew that child was a bastard and blah, blah, blah. And Emma says, you can call him whatever you want, but it doesn't mean I love him any less. And, da, da, da. and you know, she and Carson share this sweet moment where he calls her mom for the first time and makes her cry. Um, but that kind of sets off this whole town that they're, I mean, the sets off the whole town where everybody's just kind of coming forward with being who they are. Florence shows back up for the first time since the funeral, um, just to basically let the town know that her husband's gay, but guess what? She still loves him. You know, she still loves him. Um, Reverend Layton expresses that he has feelings for Mayor Menlove. Um, Danny Bailey comes out and he expresses how he he doesn't want to be um, the bad guy. He doesn't want to be the mm-hmm. the a swindler anymore. Yeah, he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be that. And he, what did he say about the? the game like there was oh, something that you, that you can't win the one of the games the ring toss yeah ring you toss. can't win you can't win the ring toss um and then nancy who is the mom or the the girl who gave birth to the baby comes out and she um i forgot what i was gonna say oh she comes out and she lets everybody know that Mildred is her mom and that they have shunned her for getting pregnant and and you know what that goes back to this whole thing of okay if Mildred and Reverend Layton didn't shun their daughter until their daughter got pregnant out of wedlock then the whole town would have known that they had a daughter yeah well no I think I thought I read it as they had a daughter, she got pregnant and then got shunned. But, and again, again, this is another one of those musical theater holes of, um, yeah, because that's weird. And I feel like that's happened before in a musical where, oh, this person, oh, you're my mother. Ah, everybody gasps. But the way the way it was written was almost like, or at least from thinking about the previous episode was, she got pregnant, then was shunned to the shack. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what makes sense, but it doesn't, it doesn't read like that. No, because the town would know that they had a daughter of some sort, you would think. I mean, because my whole thing is, is like, she reveals that that is her mom and the town is shocked that that is her mom. So what, She's just been living in a shack this whole time. Because then like she's saying when, they're at, when she's at the shack, she's because she says, she says, no, my mom, they sent me here because of this. Right. Of so situation. how does the town not know? Again, I think it goes back to not not setting the rules and not really planning in. Yeah, well, there's just too the many questions. And um, I don't I don't know. Anyways. Mildred does what every three-year-old does when they can't get their way and she is sitting on the ground and she is throwing literally throwing a temper tantrum and notice how she, like the camera cranes up to make it look like she's melting like the witch in the yeah like Oz. the witch in Wiccan did see that well yeah in Wizard of Oz um but she is so which go back to, you know, you said that, which goes back to the last episode, remember, where I said she's holding a broom as if mm-hmm. it's a nod to her being the, wicked the witch. The witch. Yeah. Um, but she's she's upset. She's lost. You know, Mayor Minlove has has won the, the race again. And, and she's just, I, I, my heart did break for her a little bit when she's the only one that raises her hand. And she's like, raise your hand you know to the reverend like, raise you know? your hand Harold he's like no not this time Mildred yeah no no Mildred no but she she throws her temper tantrum um but Melissa comes up and lets her know like it's not too late to change you know? and I love this bit about it she's like oh but I'm a good person and they're like well, actually no you're kind of an asshole you know yeah, yeah, yeah and like I'm like I think some more people need to hear that like that you know and like this showing that you can still help somebody and be be nice to somebody you know even if they are an asshole but also just tell them don't you know don't let them pretend like they're a nice person no it's like no you're not being nice right now you know you know all of these there's a lot of things and we're not i'm not going to get in, in that conversation but there's a lot of things going on in the world right now where it's like no people you're not on the right side of things you know yeah and that's common where you know people think you know they believe that they're a good person because they're holding up something or some tradition it's like well no you're actually just being an asshole yeah i and and this is what what um happens now is they they go into this last song which the writers did say that the way they wanted to show that the characters had changed was to move them into a neck, a, a neck, the next age of musicals. So Which. that is, that is why this last song is so correct. And if different. you listen to the beginning of it, it's a nod to Sondheim at first, and then it kind of expands into. However, though, they try they it's not just the next generation. They also like they really goes like all the way up to Rent and Yeah, like late, I felt like rent. it went really on up. It started out with like a little bit of Sunday in the Park with George, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that whole feel, Which but it went up into work. the like what they did late 60s work, early 70s. Attempt. Yeah, and it and yeah, and it's however, and this I was I was talking with somebody about this is like they 
it, I understand what they were trying to do it to do with that, but they musically didn't earn that. All that we heard as an audience was this weird kind of hard shift that didn't right. make sense. Right. And what they should have done was either one of two things: either just shift to that kind of Sondheim company feel, which was the next change, which brought in the new change. Sondheim was kind of what brought in that change. Uh-huh. Or well, yeah, you know, they could have done that, but what they also should have done was, for instance, after Aloysius comes out, that is like a change from that traditional musical theater character. His music, his underscoring, and any songs he sings after that begin to change and shift mm-hmm. into that thing. Mm-hmm. And that, and so then it would have made sense musically. That's you know, that's how you create a score, and that would have made sense musically that when we get to the end oh, all of these pieces are coming together to update. Or do something with, like, it, like for me as a musical theater person, yes, I get this whole, like, sometimes in musicals we sing these upbeat songs in these costumes that make no sense. Or they could have done something costume-wise to show that change. But right. just the music there at the end and saying this is how we change on might I add like two notes at all like give me some more notes please well and it was kind of like they threw in different like instrumentation like they have the tambourines and stuff which you know was very godspell very it was very that whole very end was very godspell very Stephen Schwartz very that kind of yeah, it was very heavy Godspell feeling at the end, especially with the "This is how we change" with that, and then the like. And Pippin, Pippin yeah. too, yeah. Oh yeah. And I and I and I felt that's good. And maybe, maybe it's their way to segue into whatever's going to happen if there is a season two when Josh and Melissa cross the bridge. You know, maybe maybe they cross and they're still there, but Schmigadoon's entirely different. A hundred years later. You know, some, something. I mean, I. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. I hope that the next step is the 60s. I hope we don't conglomerate the the musicals of the 70s and the 80s into that that beginning Sondheim change. Because that's what they did with this song. And yeah. so I hope they don't try to just cram that all in. Whereas they gave the Rodgers and... Because Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals which is most of this, the carousels, the the music man, that golden age sound, which really pulls a lot from operettas and from opera, is very specific. But then you start to even get a shift before Sondheim of more of the, quote, Broadway stuff with Gypsy and Funny mm-hmm. Girl and those, mm-hmm. um, you know, Peter Pan, those kind of more tra- what we think of as classic, like, Broadway sound. Not necessarily golden age musical theater, but classic Broadway um, and so there's none of that in this. Uh, we haven't gotten Gypsy. We haven't gotten that music yet before we even get to Sondheim, right. you know, which came, you know, West Side Story, which is in the 60s, before we get to Hair, before we get to, you know. So I, I, I hope that if they do that, they give space to, they give more space, even more space than they have this first season to the other eras of musical theater. For sure. For sure. And I wouldn't mind it if every season was a different era of musical theater. I think I think that overall, this has been a beautiful way um, to pay tribute 
to some of that golden age musical theater, but I 100% agree. This, this last song, it was, it was fun and it was good, but it was poorly placed and it was, it was rushed. And when I got done watching the, the episode and I was, you know, online, just reading different articles and stuff, all of the writers and especially um Cinco Paul were you know talking about how it was an eight episode um show that got stripped down to six I mean well that makes sense then why some of these things here at the end aren't working because we're probably missing some of the build-up to that because we didn't have time for it but even still this is like it feels still out of place this is yeah. I was gonna say this is like episode, like season three style music here. Yeah, if we're going yeah. in the order of musical theater, this this style song is what what I would see us at like season three. Yeah, because like when you think about too, even like think about like when when we get the the Schmigadoon update, it almost sounds like your good man Charlie Brown, which is nineties. I mean, yes, the Charlie Brown was originally written in 1963 but then in the 90s there was this kind of update to all of the music that we know now kind of as your good man charlie brown and so it's like especially when you start bringing in saxophones and things like that and tambourines and and this kind of uh that almost contemporary it almost leans on like not quite contemporary christian music but you know that like that there's that thin line of like musical theater like choir songs like um um I can't think of his name but there there's you know there's some core pieces that are really right on that edge or there are some pieces that churches do that are right on that edge of musical theater and it felt very like that that early 2000s sound and so yeah. it's like we I hope we don't skip that far forward no because also and- too I, you know, Single Paul is a great writer, but but judging by some of the stuff he's written and looking at him, he's not the person to write the stuff that's early 2000s in terms of if when you think about early, I mean, not early 2000s, of like, you know, early 2000s to now, that's Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's, mm. you know, that's, you know, real, that's, that's even past rent. Well, know? and we don't even know, I mean... We have no idea how this is going to end up. I, I, you know, most shows, most TV shows, um, as the show evolves, so do, so does the writers, you know, and, and different, different people in the writing room will become more prominent. And so for all we know, there's other writers in there who can step forward and do this and, and help out. But I would love to see more, um, I, I would love to I, I would love to see more of these characters. I don't want them to change who who is involved in the story. Yeah. That's I, the thing. It's like there's a lot of good moments and there's a lot of good writing. It's just it needed it 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 doesn't have the big picture focus that a really well written musical does. You know? Mm. It's it just there's no clear, concise view. thing. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, and it feels it feels like they all weren't quite telling the same story because they weren't. 
you know, they weren't. And that's the one thing about this that I think bothers me is that even in musicals where, um, you know, supporting characters have their own lives and, and you're made aware of that, every supporting character still feels like they are a part of the main storyline. They are a part of the main plot. And for me, for this, all these supporting characters just didn't feel like they were a part of the plot. Yeah. Well, and also too, I think sometimes it's too clever for its own good in the sense that, yeah, it's clever and fun to be like, oh, this moment is this, and it's also that, and it's also this, and it's also that, and it's also reference to this. But then you start feeling, the the audience starts feeling like you haven't given enough time to all those references you've introduced. Well, so and it's like, haven't it given might be clever in the to... moment to reference all these things. However, you've got to have a payoff for all of these things you're referencing now. And they, they also, in that same respect, they haven't given enough payoff for like character development at yeah, all. Could, because they've put referencing things over character development. And because, because they're not just lifting, you know, the exact character from Music Man or lifting the exact character because they're rewriting certain things and changing the story, there's... You can't just rely on... You can't... For instance, you can't change Marion Peru's story in Music Man and combine it with another story but not do the rest of the work to develop the new character that forms from those new pieces and expect just her old storyline and the old bits from her original story to satisfy those changes you're making. So it's like, if you're going right. to make changes to character, you have to take that change and apply it to the rest of the character. Right. And that, that would have helped, I think the character development. Probably. Oh, well guys, that is it for the finale. That is the end of season one. Hopefully not the end entirely of Apple TV's Schmigadoon. We will be back next week to um, go over the musical theater references more in depth, what we can pick up on that classic golden age, as well as if there are some nods to the more modern stuff besides what we've just seen here at the end. Um, and we are going to just break down a little bit more of the show as a whole in the musical theater aspect of it um, from what Derek and I can see. But we do want you guys to um, email us, you know, what you're picking up on, what maybe we've missed so we can see that as well. So Derek, if you will give them that email address. That's Lynn and Derek at gmail.com. That's Lynn and Derek at gmail.com. And this has been the fifth episode of Schmigadoonery, the number one podcast for dissecting and reviewing the new Apple TV show Schmigadoon. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. We will be putting out weekly episodes every Monday. And our last episode for now, before we go on a break, will be next Monday, deciphering all of the different references you can find throughout the season of Schmigadoon. You can also watch the podcast on our YouTube page, Mosaics. That's M-O-S-A-I-X. 
Subscribe to us at Watch Mosaics across all social media platforms. And remember, join us next week and send in your references throughout Shemingadoon so we can read them together. See you next week.